Daily Hockey Podcast on Breakfast with Ben's with Seth Rorba, our beat writer who covers the Penguins at Trib Live. If this podcast is anything like the team that Seth and I were covering last night at PPG Paints Arena against the New York Islanders, the first 95% of it will be excellent, and then the last five minutes will be terrible. Uh, Seth, that was sort of my assessment of how things went against the Islanders. What would you think, and why can't they beat this team when they have a lead in the third? Well, to echo a sentiment about Tristan Jari, I probably need some more repetitions here to get to the top of my game here. But <laughs> um, as far as the Islanders, I don't know. I, I just don't look at the Islanders and see anything remarkable about their team that would lead me to believe uh, that's a, a team that has something on the Penguins. It's just um, – and, and by that, when I say that, I mean, it, yeah, there are some talented players. There. I mean, Ilya Sorokin's perhaps maybe the best goaltender in the NHL, but um, – I just don't look at them as like, you know, some powerhouse like the Boston Bruins or the Carolina Hurricanes where I said, okay, well, well that makes sense why they're beating up on the Penguins all the time. Uh, um, you know, the Islanders are, uh, you know, an average team just like the Penguins, uh, but just for whatever reason, they've kind of had the Penguins number and, you know, they've had a kind of a, a pretty set schematic on on how to uh, uh, beat the Penguins here with comeback victories. So, um, and, and it's always just it comes down to maybe just a couple of miscues here and there, whether it's uh, you know like a, a quick little turnover or just a a, a slight lapse defensively uh, that ends up being the difference. So it, it's not like it's some you know a consistent problem over the course of sixty minutes or whatever. It's just it comes down to like a late you know miscue late uh, here or there, and and the cap and the Islanders are always you know seemingly able, able to capitalize on it. So. Um, you know, thankfully for the Penguins, I guess yeah, they don't have to deal with the Islanders anymore. But uh, you know, the one thing I, that, that that really struck me, maybe from a historical perspective, that was the first time either team has swept one another in a regular season series. Um, you know, it only took about 50 years to do it, but uh, um, and I'm even I'm shocked that say the '83 '84 Penguins didn't accomplish that when they were going. You, know, when you think about the Islanders at that time, were in their dynasty days there, but. Um, but no, I mean, that was a, a historical uh, result on Thursday, more ways than one. Seth, you say that the Islanders are good. They're not great. They're not super talented. But I don't know how you could say that when they have Anders Gretzky and Brock Messier on their team. <laughs> yeah, those guys really seem to specifically have the Penguins numbers. Um, and, you, know, I, you know, I feel weird ever talking about the Islanders or talking about some of their players to people who are hockey fans outside of Pittsburgh because I feel like I inflate them. I like I look at them and I feel like I'm watching all stars every time they play the Pens. And you know, they're good consistent players. I mean, they they're they're good for like 20 goals, 50, 60 points a season, you know, good, nothing great. Um and, and you know, you you want them on your team any day of the week, you know, no matter what team you are in the NHL, but uh, they always just seem to rack up against the Penguins. Throw Josh Bailey um, into that mix too. Yeah, um, and, and it looks like Bo Horvat might be a guy that does it. He had an assist <laughs> last night. Uh, I think he had a, a goal and assist uh, the the previous comeback game on February twentieth or whatever it was. So, um, looks like he might get into that mix a little, a little bit, and you know, shows you that the Islanders were pretty astute and you know, ch- pulling him out of the Canucks system there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, you, know, you don't want to discount the whole team, but you know, those guys specifically just seem to really uh, just just rack up points and you know crucial points critical goals uh uh, as was the case on thursday uh, against the pittsburgh penguins those are six points that the pens could have had when you look at third period leads that they had against the islanders the first game was a whitewash they lost five to one but you know even if they get two of the three games where they had a third period lead 
you know, not only are you feeling better about them maybe not having to play Boston in the first round, but you're feeling much better about where they are clear from the pack that's trying to track them down for the first wild card. At least I am anyway. And these third period blown leads, it's not just the Islanders. I think the Islanders have highlighted it, but it's not just the Islanders. That's been a problem repeatedly this year. In fact, Seth, they've blown more third period leads under Sullivan this season than since he's taken over. Yeah. Um, to your first point there, as far as, you know, the standings and whatnot, I mean, you get at least two of those. I mean, you, the, the team's in the first wild card spot and perhaps even, you know, chasing the Rangers a little bit for yeah. the third spot in the division. So you maybe get a, an easier first round matchup with say New Jersey. Not, you know, oddly enough, New Jersey's actually one, one game away from sweeping them for the, for, for the season as well. But, um, but no, I mean, it, you know, I mean, you can look at a lot of teams and say, okay, well, they could have had a game here or there and it means the world in the standings. But I mean, this has been a fairly consistent problem to your second point there, as far as uh, third period leads and, you know, okay, maybe some of these games, they get them to overtime and get a point. That's fine. And, you know, that was the case on Thursday, but um, you know, for a team that's uh, that, that rehauled its defense to make it maybe a little bit more stiffer this past off season, and I'm talking, you know, Jeff Petrie and Jan Ruda specifically, and if you want to tag in now uh, Dmitry Kulikov, uh, you know, part of the trade deadline last week, um, they just haven't, you know, performed uh, well in that regard in terms of defending leads, you know, being stiffer around the net. I mean, you look at some of the goals they gave up last night, uh, particularly the game tying goal. I mean, that's a that's a play, you know, right near the crease there. Uh, yeah, I think actually Chris Letang and you know, Brian Dumoulin were the ones that were kind of victims on that play. But uh, um, this was a team that was retooled this past offseason to be a little bit more stiffer defensively. And, um, you know, maybe we've seen it in some instances, but uh, particularly, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen a, a surplus of it in terms of uh, defending late leads or third period leads. Yeah, 20 wins, four regulation losses, and five overtime losses when leading after two so far this season. So that means that's 13 points that they could have had uh, that they didn't put on their score sheet in those circumstances. And, you know, maybe they don't get all 13. Everybody blows a third-period lead from time to time. But even if they get 10, uh, to your earlier point, Seth, they're not just worrying about the Islanders. They might find themselves catching or in front of the Rangers and trying to hunt down the Devils even if they're better in the third period with the lead, which is frustrating. Now, I mentioned the Rangers. They'll get the Rangers this weekend, and then they play the Rangers, I believe, Seth, every game until the playoffs. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, it feels like a flashback to the pandemic season. Doesn't it? Here where they have uh, back-to-back games in New York. Uh, um, and I think, you know, that was, you know, for anyone that's not immediately aware of that reference, you know, during the 2021 season, which was entirely played within the 20. 20- 21 calendar year uh the nhl only had division only play to cut down on travel and um as in the nhl kind of toyed with i think this was popularly called the uh the jonathan taze schedule because jonathan taze is maybe the one who just suggested it a few years ago uh but basically you, know, you played like a two-game series in the city so the penguins would go to new york for, for two games in three days or uh the new jersey devils would come to pittsburgh for two games in three or four days and um, you know, a lot of players seem to like it just based on the fact that you actually, you weren't traveling nearly as much at a Franklin fr- frantic pace. Uh, um, you probably save some teams, you know, money and, you know, players some sleep and things like that. So, um, there seems to be a lot of benefits, uh, in, in what is admittedly a very unique situation. You're, you're now back to a normal schedule and things like that, where you're playing every team in the league. And, uh, so it's maybe logistically a little more difficult, but, uh, it, it 
I, I know Mike Sullivan was a big fan of it. Uh, he's been very blunt saying, I don't know why you know, the league hasn't gone back to it. But, um, you know, they're going to get the, a pretty big test here or a pretty big uh, opportunity, I guess, here against the New York Rangers if they want to make some hay and uh, you know, potentially get it into that uh, that third position, I guess, in the uh, in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, and the Rangers haven't exactly been at their best since you know, adding some players here, most notably Patrick Kane. They've had some issues with their roster, the salary cap issues, and um, they've only been able to play with, like I think, like eight, yeah, 17 skaters for a couple games here. So uh, the Rangers probably need to get some momentum going here you know, with this series. You know, next week, albeit, you know, the Penguins still have a few other games here, but um, you know, the Penguins, if, if they have any hopes, and they certainly seem faint at this point, if they have any hopes of uh, jumping into the third position there in the, the Metro, I mean, these games against the New York Rangers are going to be vital towards that pursuit. Well, Seth, I think Sullivan and Taves both like that schedule because it's very college-esque, right? Wasn't Taves a North Dakota guy, and Sully was, of course, a BU guy, right? Yeah, and there's definitely some some uh, semblance of that, I guess. And that, I mean, I've talked to some of the other guys uh, on the Penguins over the years, like Casey DeSmith and others who played at the college level, and they saw some similarities. Uh, I, I think for the most part, just the players – like the fact that you can go to a city and exist there for a day. I mean, whereas, you know, you're on these road trips. Okay. You're playing Boston one night, then you're playing Buffalo the next. It's um, you get in and you, you maybe get some sleep and you play your game. And then all of a sudden you're, you're flying the Buffalo and landing at, you know, one in the morning or something like that. So um, I, I think that, you know, the appeal, the biggest appeal to that schedule from a player's perspective was just the fact that um, you could call, you, you could get some semblance of rest. You could get some semblance of, uh, of just being somewhere for like a full day. And, you know, if you want to go out and get something to eat or just want to maybe relax at the hotel, whatever, um, just not being on a plane as much, I, I think was the biggest uh, appeal for players. And I, and I would assume for teams, you know, the bean counters, you know, that's, yeah, uh, it's a little less travel, I guess, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, you know, spending money on fuel for a plane or, I mean, obviously you're maybe spending a little more money, I guess, in hotels, but um, I, I think there was be- definitely some economic benefits to that type of schedule format. How about the Flyers, Seth? We talked about the Rangers. Let's talk about the Flyers. Interesting time there for them on Friday. They, you know, they fired uh, Chuck Fletcher there. He was the former assistant GM way back when under Ray Shero uh, with the Penguins. Um, um, you know, Chuck Fletcher was a guy who just he took over for you know, Ron Hextall. Uh, speaking of general managers on the hot seat, uh, you know, a couple years ago, and um, you know, say what you will about Ron Hextall's time with the Flyers, they were a playoff team when he left there, uh, and since then they've become one of the worst teams in the NHL. Uh, and um, you know, they just did not get worse under Chuck Fletcher. And, you know, most notably, I, I think you know his most infamous failure, if you want to tamp, you know, label it that, was uh, failing to sign Johnny Gaudreau, who was you know arguably the biggest player out there in the free agent market this past season. You know, Johnny Gaudreau famously wanted to come back east. He's from New Jersey. Everyone assumed it would be Philadelphia, and then he goes to Columbus. And um, from that point on, the, the the Flyers just never really seen the gain any kind of traction this season specifically uh um you know and they they hired john tortorella to you know i would say mixed results very charitably this season and um they just haven't you know i just don't know what direction they were taking uh these past few years under Chuck fletcher and who's a very good hockey mind i mean you know his dad was obviously a, a key part of you know some championship teams or the championship team in calgary way back when cliff fletcher but um it just uh it just it was a bad situation in Philadelphia. It didn't seem like it was going anywhere good. And uh, the Flyers decided to, to make a change. Daniel Briere is the interim GM team president slash whatever uh, now, but uh, at some point here, they're probably going to you know figure out their front office. But um, 
but yeah, the Flyers are very much a team in transition right now. Finally, Seth, how much of a sigh of relief did Gary Bettman and all of hockey breathe when they saw Connor McDavid get up from that crumpling collision that he had with his own teammate Derek Ryan against the Boston Bruins on Thursday night? Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's that's scary. Uh, I mean, it's uh, for for him to be out for any length of time, even if it's maybe just a shift or two, or you know, God forbid, any kind of prolonged time like that. That's that's just bad for hockey. Uh, that's bad for anyone who enjoys the game, whether you're Edmonton Oilers fan or not. So. Um, I mean, Connor McDavid's a reason people tune into a game, uh, you know, if, who maybe are just casual fans. And uh, not that you see many Edmonton Oilers games on national TV in the U.S., but uh, on those occasions they, they are. He's, he's an attraction. So, um, And I think it also just says a lot for his toughness. I mean, I, I, we've seen some maybe accidental or not-so-accidental collisions with opponents uh, in recent years where he's been able to kind of, you know, shake it off after a shift or two and, you know, grind it out for the rest of the game. and and still do something spectacular. So, um, no, I, I, if you're a fan of hockey in general, if you're a fan of the NHL doing well, um, you, you were happy to see Connor McDavid uh, uh, get up after what was potentially a scary uh, situation there. Seth, thanks. Appreciate the time. Have that secondary lead ready to go just in case things go south again in the third, all right? I might need a three or four uh, way, way, way this team's going right now. Seth Roba covers the pens for us here at Trib Live.